And open your Bibles this evening once again to Luke chapter 6, and we are reading one verse. So let us hear now the Word of God, Luke chapter 6 and verse 20. And he lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, Blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Thus far, God's word. Let's pray together. Father, it seems these are very simple words, but we pray for comprehension of the depth and wonder and glory of all that they contain. Help us this night to listen and listen well, and to receive with meekness the engrafted word which is able to save our souls. We ask for Jesus' sake. Amen. Well, we are returning this evening to this sermon that Jesus preached immediately after he chose his 12 apostles and came down off the mountain. This sermon, like the Sermon on the Mount, begins with a select number of Beatitudes, four to be precise of the number. And we have been looking at this first Beatitude, which is, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of heaven. And so last week, we considered two things. Number one, we looked at the nature of this blessedness to those who are poor. We saw that that blessedness is not a physical blessedness. It's not you're going to receive a lot of money. It's not going you're going to live in a wonderful home. It's not any of those physical comforts and pleasures or riches that people might think would be a great blessing were they to receive them. But this is a spiritual blessedness, not a physical blessedness that Jesus is describing. The second thing we considered was to whom precisely was this promise made? To you who are poor. And again, we saw that that poverty is not a physical poverty, but a poverty of spirit. It is the recognition that we are spiritually beggars. We live like beggars as we gather around the throne of God and beseech him for his mercy and grace to us each and every day of our lives. Now tonight, we're going to be looking at the third and final aspect, and that is the significance of this phrase, for yours is the kingdom of God. As I was working on this sermon throughout the week, I was reminded once again of this fact, that here is a precious truth of the word of God that we, brethren, need to think about more frequently and more deeply. We were reminded this morning in in Pastor Matt's sermon that we frequently get so focused 
upon the things of this world that we forget about heaven. And we want to try to correct that this night as we consider these things. And our primary concern is to understand exactly what is meant by this phrase, the kingdom of God. And we're asking three questions, and we'll seek to answer those questions. Number one, what does Jesus mean by the words, the kingdom of God? Secondly, what are the blessings of those kingdoms now? And thirdly, what are the blessings of that kingdom in the future to come? So first of all, we look at what does Jesus mean by the words, the kingdom of God. Our greatest help so that we can get this right is to understand and to know that Scripture uses this phrase in two different ways. Sometimes people have described that that which is being distinguished here by saying the Scripture is speaking of the already, the here and now, and other times it uses this phrase to speak of that which is not yet. So we have the already and the not yet. We have the here and now, and we have that which is to come. Others have tried to make this distinction, that the one is the kingdom of grace, God's grace in our hearts and lives now, and the other is the kingdom of glory that will be in the future in heaven. Now, I understand that 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 can be a helpful distinction, but we should not say, well, this is all about grace now, and it's all about glory later. Because the glory we enjoy later is going to be God's grace to us. And the grace that we experience now is full of glory. And so we, we don't want to be too harsh or distinctive about that. One other uh, difference or way of referring to this is simply the present, the kingdom of God in the present, and secondly, the future, the kingdom of God in the future. Now, I want you to know that distinction is not an artificial one because that's the way Scripture, that's the way the Bible refers to the kingdom of God. Let's look at the first category, the here and now, the already, the present. Listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Colossians 1 and verse 13. He's talking about the Father and what the Father has given us as the inheritance of the saints. In verse 13, he says, he has delivered us from the power of darkness. One version says the kingdom of darkness and conveyed or transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son, the son of his love. My friends, that's right now. That's what, what Paul is describing is what God has done for us now. He's taken us out of the kingdom of darkness and he's placed us and transferred us into the kingdom of his son. Not only that, but then we have yet another verse, Hebrews 12 and verse 28. 
And there the writer of Hebrews says, since we are therefore receiving a kingdom which cannot be shaken, let us have grace that we might serve God with reverence and godly fear. That's right now. That's what we are experiencing right now. We have received a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Then we have a little bit later in the Gospel of Luke in chapter 12, we have Jesus as he promises his disciples, I think one of the most extraordinary promises that he could have given them. One of the most comforting and and enlivening promises. He says in, in Luke 12 and verse 32, he says, do not fear, little flock. This tiny little band of misfit disciples that we've recently just studied about. They're gathered together. They're listening to the the Lord of glory teach and preach to them. And he says, do not be afraid, little flock. It is your father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. My friends, do you realize God has not given us, as our Father, He's not given us a nice little nest egg of money that He had set aside for each of us. He's not given us a nice house on the hill with a nice picket fence around it. He's not given us a bunch of comforts and pleasures and enjoyments in this world. He has given us a kingdom. We need to let those words sink in. And Jesus is speaking about here and now. He's speaking about the already. And he is saying, your father's good pleasure is to give you a kingdom. But then on the other side of the coin, we have a number of passages that speak clearly of the kingdom as something that is yet to come, the not yet. And one of the clearest of those passages, if you turn back to the Gospel of Matthew in chapter 25, you have a number of kingdom parables, parables that Jesus uses to to teach this is what the kingdom of heaven is like. And he gives the, the parable of the ten virgins. And then he gives the parable of the talents. And he explains those. But then he comes down to verse 31 to describe what this kingdom that he's talking about is going to be like. Listen to what he says. Matthew 25 and verse 31. When the Son of Man comes in his glory... Now, my friends, I don't think there's any doubt about what that means. This is Christ's second coming. When he comes in his glory and all his holy angels with him, he will sit on the throne of his glory and all nations will be gathered together before him and he will separate the sheep from the goats. 
and he will set the sheep on his right hand, the goats on his left. And listen to what he says. And the king will say to those on his right hand, Come, you blessed of my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Now, we, we can't mistake his meaning here. You could do grammatical gymnastics and not be able to distort this phraseology. When the Son of Man comes in his glory, when all nations are gathered before him and he separates the sheep from the goats, and he says, come, come you blessed of my Father, inherit the kingdom. That's future. That's not yet. Another tremendous passage that we see this, this similar language is found in Second Peter and chapter 1. Second Peter and chapter 1. And in verse 10, now, now Peter has been telling the people what they are due to make their calling and election sure. And he tells them, giving all diligence... Add to your faith virtue, to virtue knowledge, to knowledge self-controls, to self-control perseverance, to perseverance godliness, to godliness brotherly kindness, to brotherly kindness love. And then he says, if you do these things, listen to what he says in verse 10, give more diligence to make your call and election sure, for if you do these things, you will never stumble. And so an entrance will be supplied to you abundantly into the everlasting kingdom of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. My friends, Jesus and Peter, reflecting upon Jesus' teaching, is talking about the not yet. This is what you do now, and if you do that, you have this blessed hope, Paul calls it, of the glorious appearing of Christ and an abundant entrance into that kingdom. So then what, what do we do with that? Well, here's the main thing that I think we gather from this. When we hear this promise, yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. When you hear that promise, when you read those words tonight, don't restrict your thinking to one or the other exclusively. Don't say, well, he's talking about here and now. Or don't say, he's talking about the future. He's talking about the kingdom of heaven. My friends, he's doing both. And he is bestowing upon us and giving us this hope of both the present and the future. This promise, in its fullest sense, refers to both the already and the not yet, to the present and to the future. Now, with that in view... 
Let's begin to unpack some of the specific blessings of this kingdom. Number one, what are the blessings of the kingdom now? I think Jesus clearly has the present in view because he does not say, yours shall be the kingdom of God. Nor does he say, just remember, as you go through all the struggles now, that one day in the future, you're going to enter into this kingdom. No, brethren, he says, yours is the kingdom of God. He is addressing us as those who will know here and now. Now, there is a, a whole list of valuable passages of Scripture that we could turn to and talk about the kingdom, the kingdom now. But I'm going to concentrate on one verse, and I want you to turn over there. It is Romans chapter 14 and verse 17. Romans 14 and verse 17. Paul says, for the kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. My friends, you don't have to think very hard about that description to understand that the blessings of the kingdom now are not necessarily physical blessings. They're spiritual blessings. Righteousness, joy, peace. These are the blessings. In other words, to receive the kingdom of God now does not mean that you're going to live in some kingly palace. You ever seen those pictures of Buckingham Palace? It's pretty lavish. That's not what this is about. You're not going to live in a palace. You're not going to be surrounded by marble statues. You're not going to have a a whole host of servants waiting on you hand and foot. Just say your command and we do it. That is not what Jesus is describing. The blessings of this kingdom right now are spiritual blessings. Things far more precious and more valuable than money or the best food or the greatest, most expensive pleasures you could think of. The blessings of this kingdom, my friends, are things that only God can give. And so you young people, when you think about the blessings that God bestows upon his children, don't think about physical things. Think about spiritual ways that God works in the hearts and lives of his children. Paul mentions three things. The first is righteousness. If you were to hear a command to go out and be 
righteous. Now we have that command to be holy as God is holy. But is there a person in this room who thinks they can accomplish that on their own? By their own strength, by their own willpower? Paul says this is a work of God in our hearts. There's really two senses in which we can think of this righteousness. There is a being right with God, our justification, being regarded as righteous in God's sight because the righteousness of Christ is imputed to us when we believe in him. So in 2 Corinthians 5.21, Paul says, He made him who knew no sin to be sin for us so that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. We are right with God only by his grace when he makes us righteous in Christ. But then there's a righteousness before God, our sanctification. We are right with God because of our justification, but we are righteous before God when he makes us holy, when he changes us, when he gives us a new heart, when he changes and renews our minds, as Paul talks about in Romans 12 too. And he makes us willing to do his will, to keep his commandments. All of these things are, are the work that only God can do. Paul writes to the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians 7, 1, and he says, having these promises, what promises? The promise that God will be our God and we shall be his people. And he says, having these promises, let us cleanse ourselves from all filthiness of the flesh and spirit, perfecting holiness in the fear of God. Brethren, it's God who gives us that new heart. It's God who changes our minds, who renews them. It is God who, who enables our will to even desire to do his will. And so he tells us it is God who is working in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. So this is a blessing of the kingdom. This is the kingdom. Righteousness. With God and before God. And then he says, secondly, peace. The kingdom of God is not eating and drinking, but it's righteousness and peace. I don't know about you, but I, I don't watch the news typically on TV. I don't remember the last time we turned the TV on to watch our program. But I do hear enough from news on the radio and newspapers and Internet sometimes but brethren, look around you. You don't see a lot of peace in this world, do you? There's a lot of hate. There's a lot of anger. 
There's a lot of rebellion and turmoil and misery caused by those things. Do you hear what Paul's saying? Here is one of the clearest evidences that someone has entered into the kingdom of God. One of the clearest evidences that you have been blessed with this kingdom as one of God's children. Because where God bestows this kingdom, he bestows peace. Peace in your heart with God, peace in your life with men. My friends, as you sit here tonight, would you describe your life as a life of peace? Peace physically, spiritually, emotionally, financially. My friends, peace does not come from having perfect circumstances. Peace is only given by God. It's part of his kingdom blessing. We used to listen to Dave Ramsey quite a lot, and you know the one phrase that he uses with great fondness, there is only one way, ultimately, to have peace, financial peace, and that is to walk daily with the Prince of Peace. He's saying the same thing. Only God can bestow peace in our lives. Paul puts it simply when he says, do not be anxious for anything. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, let your requests be made known to God. To God and the peace of God will rule, will guard your hearts through Christ Jesus. So the kingdom of God brings righteousness, it brings peace, and it brings joy. Not just any joy, and definitely not the temporary joy that this world can give. That fades away with the using. The joy of the kingdom of God is joy in the Holy Spirit. It is an everlasting joy. It is an exuberant joy. As a matter of fact, I think we could go so far as to say it's a jump jump up and down kind of joy. That's what Jesus says in verse 23. Rejoice. Because yours is the kingdom of heaven. And what does he say? Leap for joy. My friends, when's the last time you leapt with joy? Jesus says, you receive this kingdom. You're blessed with this kingdom. Leap for joy. It ought to thrill your heart. Not just when everything is going great, but even when, and especially when, you have difficult problems that you're dealing with on every level. 
And Jesus says, you set your eyes on this kingdom. Even when men hate you and they revile you and they treat you and persecute you horribly. He says, rejoice, leap for joy, for great is your reward in heaven. We have that blessed hope. We see the work of the King in our hearts and lives. And we know that he's changing us, perhaps slowly, but he's changing us. He is making us like Christ. And we can rejoice in that. So are you in the kingdom of grace? Has God taken you out of the kingdom of darkness and placed you in the kingdom of his dear son? Is the kingdom of God at work in you? Is Christ your king? It's great to accept Christ as our savior, but my friends, you've only come halfway if that's all you've done. He is Lord. He is king. If we are in this kingdom, then he rules and reigns over every aspect of our being. Well, what are the blessings of the kingdom to come? My wife and I used to live in upstate South Carolina. We were 45 minutes from a mountain referred to as Caesar's Head. 3,200 feet of sheer rock cliff looking out over the mountains of South Carolina, Georgia, Alabama, North Carolina, Tennessee, and Kentucky, and Virginia. You could see seven states, allegedly, from the top of the water tower on Caesar's head. I don't know how they could verify that, but I guess it would depend on your eyesight, too. But You were supposed to see this wonderful, glorious view, and it was glorious. Then my wife and I traveled to Colorado and Wyoming, and we drove up Pikes Peak, not 3,200 feet above sea level, but 14,700 feet above sea level. My friends, the glory of the one could not be compared to the glory of the other. From Pikes Peak, you could see glorious mountain peaks as far as the eye could see. The one was infinitely more glorious than the other. And the same thing is true here. The kingdom of grace is glorious. There's no doubt about that, as we've described it, as the scriptures describe it. But my friends, the kingdom of glory, the kingdom that is not yet, the kingdom that is to come, is inconceivably greater than the glory of the kingdom we know now. 
so much greater that we cannot even begin to comprehend what it is going to be like. Two passages I want us to deal with, and that is, first of all, the book of Revelation, chapter 21, and verses 1 through 4. You're probably familiar with these words. John sees in his visions a new heaven and a new earth. The first heaven and earth had passed away. And then he says he sees the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down as a bride adorned for her husband. And then he says, I hear, I heard a loud voice from heaven saying, Behold, the tabernacle of God is with men, and he will dwell with them, and they shall be his people, and God himself will be them, with them and be their God. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall be no more death, nor sorrow, nor crying. There will be no more pain, for the former things have passed away. Now there's something very striking about this description of the kingdom of glory. Do you see it? It all has to do with the word no. There will be no more pain, no more sorrow, no more crying, no more death, no more curse, no more sea. In other words, when it comes to the kingdom of glory, the scriptures often tell us what the kingdom of heaven is not like rather than what it is like. And I believe the reason for that is we could not understand it if he told us. So here we're told all these things. This is what the new heavens, this is what the new earth is going to be like. God will be our God and we will be his people. Brethren, that is the quintessential promise It started with Abraham, repeated to Moses, repeated to David, repeated in the new covenant. And in glory, that is what we're going to hear. I will be with them. I will be their God and they shall be my people. Can you fathom what that's going to be like? I think John labors here with language to communicate to us what this is going to be like. But he tells us, this is what it's going to be like. There'll be no more tears, no more sorrow, no more death, no more pain. My friends, everything that troubles you now will be gone. It will not exist. There will be no more sin. Can you understand that? That you will never again in the kingdom of glory have a sinful thought. You will never again perform a sinful deed. You will never again fail or fall by not doing what you should have done. It will not happen. There will be no more sin. That's what John is telling us. This is what 
the kingdom of glory is going to be like. Now turn over to Second Peter, or First Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1. Beginning in verse 3, he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. He's begotten us again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. And then here's what he tells us. He's begotten us unto an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled, that does not fade away, reserved in heaven for you, kept by the power of God through faith for salvation. Something very striking here about these words. You see it. It is not going to be corruptible. It is not going to defile. It is not going to fade away. He's not telling us what it will be. He's telling us what it won't be. This inheritance that God has prepared for us, it will not be corruptible. It will not defile. It will not fade away. This kingdom of glory, nothing in it, nothing about it will ever rot or rust or tarnish. It will not defile you in any way. You look at the treasures, the trinkets of this world, money, pleasures, whatever they may be, and they can make you proud. They can make you selfish. They can make you lazy. Not so the blessings of the kingdom which is to come. The blessings of this kingdom will never fade. The joy that we have will never fade. They will not grow old. They will not break You will never grow tired or regard the things of Christ lightly. There will be no such thing as coldness of heart when it comes to the things of glory. My friends, have you ever known or experienced anything like this? Well, of course not. Because everything we enjoy in this world fades. The hottest, newest toy or gadget a year from now you will have no interest in because it fades away. The best things that we enjoy pass away with the using of them. This world and all its pleasures are temporary. These things decay or they will be destroyed, or somebody will steal them from us, or they will simply lose the luster they once had. But when it comes to the kingdom of glory, both the blessings that are promised and the one who receives them are kept by the power of God until that grand day. 
none of these things, none of us, if we are in Christ, will perish, but we will enjoy the blessings of the kingdom of God. How blessed indeed are those who are poor in spirit. For yours is the kingdom of God. And that, my friends, ought to make you leap for joy. Let's pray. Our Father, we confess this evening how many times we focus so much upon this world that we forget about the glories of the kingdom of God, both here and now and in the future. O oh Lord, stir up our affections this night, we pray. Take your word and use it to instruct our minds and to stir our hearts that we might love those things that you love, that we would love you with an unsinning heart. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's take a few moments and weigh these words carefully thanking God for his truth.